hosts, Shelby and Matt. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. And to you, Shelby. <laughs> yes, thank you. I know. What a wonderful time to have a vacation where you can do absolutely nothing. <laughs> I mean, you say that. Uh, my boss, both Friday and Monday today, off. And I was like... Thank you, but also, can I, like, bank these days and use them when I can actually do something? <laughs> like, two extra days just sitting around in my apartment with no work, not that exciting necessarily <laughs> for me. But then, yeah. this whole weekend, I have seen nothing but people on social media, like, at full-blown weddings with, like, 12 bridesmaids, <laughs> like, out on their crowded lake, at restaurants. Like, oh, wow. I don't know... I mean, I realize that it's different, different places, but I'm like, hello, everyone. In New York, we are still in full lockdown. People are still dying, like, by the hundreds every day. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand what the situation is here. Like, no one's wearing masks. And I realized that early on in this thing, I was, like, poo-pooing it. But we've had 100,000 people die. Like, uh, yeah. hello? Wow, if Matt can figure it out, the rest of us can definitely get in line. This is inspiring. I mean, yes. So I guess <laughs> I am really like my exciting thing that I did for this weekend was this morning I went to Wendy's to get Wendy's breakfast again, which is truly <laughs> my greatest joy in quarantine. And they are not paying me <laughs> as a sponsor, but the Frosty Chino oh, is phenomenal. <laughs> They're like, potato wedges are great yeah it's fantastic so that's what i did while some of y'all were Congrats. you know at a wedding with 200 people <laughs> doing the macarena you know hopefully nobody there yeah. had it because otherwise it's going home with some of y'all instead of a party yeah. favor <laughs> yeah it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out houston's definitely relaxed i feel like people just want to pretend it's over and like pretend everything's fine and like they're you you know manifesting the world they want to live in so maybe all that positive energy will work but scientifically it doesn't seem likely but yeah it's been a pretty chill weekend here for us we well my little sister drove down to Houston after she's been doing some self-quarantine so we both needed humans and so she has been invited into our quarantine bubble so that's fun and nice to have another person to talk to in person oh yeah and I'm like I realize that things are relaxing and especially in places that aren't New York like people are raising their restrictions you know we got to get the economy back running and stuff but at the same time i'm like there's a difference between you know going and getting some like food from your favorite restaurant or you know that kind of thing or like going sitting in the park or like visiting your cousins then going to like a full-fledged group event with lots of people right. from around the country which feels wild yeah. but you know <laughs> To each I their know. own, I guess. Um, yeah. Do you have... We we didn't get any reviews this week. So, I mean, shame on you. If you can get to a wedding, the least you it. could do is write us a review. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you have any stories? Should we get into the tell me something I don't know segment? Yeah. I feel like I, I feel like I know the big stories. So, people probably do know them. But I'm curious about your opinions and also just helping me parse through this. Okay. I mean, I think the most recent... Uh, controversy was uh, Lena Del Rey. She took to Instagram to voice some frustrations. 
I like her music. I think a lot of people do. I mean, she's been referenced as like one of the greatest songwriters and like has been, you know, thanked as an inspiration for a lot of artists and stuff. So I've like known her tangentially, but she posted this thing on Instagram that was basically like, well, now that Beyonce and Nicki Minaj and Cardi B and all these artists can like sing about whatever relationships they want and whatever like can we all just agree to like stop like insulting me about my type of feminism like my female experience where there needs to be space for like women who are in (laughs) I honestly don't know what she was trying to say it was a very weird statement that was sort of like she had felt sort of silenced by feminism and pop culture and like criticism of her songs glamorizing like abusive relationships or women who are less strong or outspoken who maybe are the um (laughs) weaker party in a relationship and so she was like I'm done like censoring myself and there should be space for me like I'm not not a feminist but like I feel like feminism doesn't have a place for me, which everyone immediately jumped on because obviously white women and feminism is, you know, a majority of voices that uh, often silence women of color and um, uh, all sorts of minorities. And so everyone kind of jumped on her, attacked her. I was sort of watching like confused about how it spiraled out so badly, but there were criticisms of her, of course, calling out women of color, like the performers like Beyonce and Nicki Minaj and pretending that Lena Del Rey has had it worse than them in the critical circle. And so then she responded again and was like in the comments, she was on her story, she was doing lives and was like, I'm not racist. This isn't about race. If you think it's about race, that says more about you than about me. I just listed artists I like. It was never about (laughs) like their skin tone which sure fine whatever but then she kept digging her heels in further and further about how her experiences has been like I don't know silenced or misunderstood and women should be allowed to be submissive and abused if they want I don't know well (laughs) and she made this comment that was like the third wave feminism needs to make room for us and everyone's like the third wave feminism has already happened so like what universe are you living in and it was all very messy I mean so one I feel like I did not really like, I don't know. I'm not that big of a fan of Lana Del Rey. And I saw this story like hap- happening tangentially, but didn't really dive into it. Yeah. And I don't know that much about Lana Del Rey to begin with. But I believe that she has gotten criticism in the past for sort of liking the kind of deadbeat, sort of like white trash kind yeah. of guys um, and writing songs about that. And people were not into that. And so I guess what she's saying is like, yeah, if Beyonce can write a song about, you know, songs about like being cheated on by a guy, but still going back to him and Cardi B can write songs about, you know, her bad relationships and people like that can have these songs where they're talking about, like poor relationship choices that they've made in the past and they're celebrated for it. How come when she writes songs about her relationship choices that (laughs) people call her out for that? Right. Which is like, I don't know. That's tricky territory to get into. I feel like, and I don't know nearly enough about it to actually say anything that's important, (laughs) but yeah, I don't know. Well, that's what I, because I was talking to some of my friends about that and we're like, we don't really understand like why she felt the need to speak out because 
technically what I would have like what I would have done, you know, if I had those feelings and you had those frustrations and yes, she was criticized for that and whatever, then make whatever album you want. And if you get pushed back, then you can cite songs that are like, well, you didn't say this to X, Y, Z. But it was weird to go on the offensive immediately and then dig your heels in further and refuse to acknowledge any criticism you got for the phrasing or the messaging or whatever. And so now you just look like worse and worse. So I think kind of I think that the her. key that any musician who writes songs has to understand going into writing a song, especially a, like a love song that's based on a personal relationship you've had, is that one, the song is going to be dissected. So if you don't want it to be dissected, don't write it. Two, that people are going to criticize you and you just have to be aware of that. But also you have to understand that like the success and failing of the song also sort of relies on how realistic the song is like people love listening to music that's about real life situations that they can relate to so it's like a double-edged sword if you're going to be a songwriter and you're going to put your those feelings out there know that some people are going to be accepting of them and excited about them but then you're also going to have criticism especially when you're at the stage that's as big as like Lana Del Rey is and her last album was very well accepted so it's and then also all of these people are super rich and have lots of money and have lots of success so it's hard to really like get behind them feeling upset but then at the same time they're also people so I don't know it's messy but I don't really have that much sympathy for any of the people involved in this (laughs) and it's like I think the main criticism that I saw was mostly around this idea that she's like there's not a space for feminist people like me and feminism and then like I've gotten attacked more than Beyonce which is just categorically like false I mean Beyonce gets criticism left and right even if she does still have super successful albums and tours and whatnot but yeah it's just kind of a messy thing to step into and I feel like she should have really had her message on point before she's also kind of like a messy person though you know like she's not the person who's going to run these things by a bunch of people before she releases it so (laughs) I mean yeah I don't I don't know (laughs) <laughs> well we'll see if she can if she's canceled forever oh or doubtful come back with every in today's <laughs> culture everyone gets canceled and then no one gets canceled it's just like every, every two years you have to go through slug where everybody hates you and then you can do a rebound yeah. <laughs> um speaking of it's someone who serious. actually was sort of canceled i guess you could say ruby rose who was in the batwoman uh show mm-hmm. that we both watched an episode of and thought was truly terrible and that she was horrific in they the cw which is the channel that aired it has renewed batwoman for a second season but ruby rose will not be coming back they're replacing her with a new actress to be determined which is a weird move because rarely do they recast the lead (laughs) of a television show well it's because she left right like well it's not that they cut her out it's she left so Uh, you it's kind of hard to tell but the statement that came from an industry insider (laughs) said it wasn't 100 her decision it was a breakup she wasn't happy working on the show but did that make her fun to work with no so everyone decided it would be in the best interest of the show and for all concerned if they parted ways it just wasn't a good fit so then i was looking up like okay why did she like what was what's the tea behind this situation? So apparently she had received some kind of injury on set from doing the stunt work that she had. And so she had to do, she had to have surgery for two herniated discs 
And so people thought, okay, well, maybe that's it. But then now there have been reports coming out saying that she, as someone who had mostly done movie acting before this, did not realize how much time it took to be the lead of a television show and that she was, quote, distressed by the long hours demanded of a lead television role. And then also it's now come out that she did not like Vancouver where the show was shot in. So she didn't want to continue (laughs) having to spend these long hours in Vancouver, a city that she did not like. I think that for you and I who watched an episode of this show and also watched her performance in the Meg, this comes as absolutely no surprise to me. She strikes me as a person who puts very minimal energy into anything that she is doing. Like her roles, her acting is bad and she just looks unaffected the entire time. She like, She knows she looks good. She knows that she looks cool. And that's basically all that she is delivering in any of these settings. So (laughs) the fact that she was like, I don't want to be in Vancouver and I don't want to actually work that much is not surprising to me in any way, shape or form. And also based on her terrible performance in the show, I cannot imagine (laughs) that the network was super broken up about having to deal with her who seemed sort of like a prima donna and wasn't giving them anything that was actually that good. Like they can easily find somebody else to be in this show who's a much better actress and is much more willing to move to Vancouver and do some stunts. Yeah. I mean, that it was definitely interesting news because yeah, you don't, you don't really hear about main like title stars leaving a show that's still running. But I think it's good that it's like, it's only its second year. They have a, a big news story to lead into a new interest in the second season to see who will replace her and whatnot. And if it could be any better. <laughs> So, I mean, I guess it is sort of a positive thing and maybe it'll be good. (laughs) I'm not holding my breath. Maybe we'll watch an episode sometime in the fall or winter or whenever it (laughs) airs again. Yeah, maybe. This is a hard maybe. TBD. Um, But there was some other, you know, uh, big news in the movie industry. You didn't care at all about it, but um, Justice League, it came out in 2017. It's the big DC universe coming together of all these characters from Batman, Superman, Aquaman, The Flash, Wonder Woman. And all of the DC movies have basically been helmed in part by Zack Snyder, who um, did like the Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. And so... He's been sort of the DC voice and he did just, he was brought on to do Justice League, their big film. And unfortunately, halfway through production, I don't know exactly like where it was, but it seems to be before the story got too far. He had to leave because of personal reasons when his daughter died. And so they brought on Joss Whedon from the Marvel Universe. And 2017 happened, Justice League comes out. It was a terrible movie. No one liked it. It has been just mocked and derided and even like dc fans were disappointed enough that they became they began this sort of movement with this hashtag release the snyder cut because there were these rumors and theories that it was going to be a totally different movie and snyder had a totally different vision and it and it's a great film that's just been on is just hiding in some ceo's desk And if they could just release the Snyder Cut, people would see the DC Universe is great. And this movie was meant to be wonderful. And so this has been going on since 2017. And earlier this year, or late last year, I don't know, time is a construct. But um, even the actors involved 
all tweeted release the Snyder cut. And so there had been rumors that like, well, this doesn't exist because he wasn't far enough along that any of the, any of the like CGI had been done. Like it's not a real thing, but this last week he was doing, uh, Zack Snyder was doing a sort of live stream of one of his movies, like Batman v Superman. And there were rumors that he was going to announce at the end that he was going to give the Snyder cut of justice league to HBO max. And then everyone was like, this is unrealistic. This is a rumor. It's not going to happen. But lo and behold, he makes this announcement. The internet blows up. I texted you and was like, oh, we have to watch this. It'll be so interesting. Only to realize it was sort of half true. And it does not exist. But HBO and like HBO Max is somehow, somehow Zack Snyder got permission to recut the movie, which means they're pouring $30 million into doing the CGI and any other production they have to do on this to make the movie he always wanted, which is going to be like a four hour long either movie or mini series that will do the story as he saw it happening. And so now people are like, HBO Max is coming out this year, but this is announced for late 2021 if they can even, you know, make that deadline with things as they currently are so it's all kind of like (laughs) crazy to me but had you heard of like any of this like tracked any of this well i i had heard of the snyder cut as a phrase i didn't and i knew it had to do with this movie i didn't really understand exactly uh, like what it was and what the situation was however as i talked about last week or a couple weeks ago that i had accidentally sort of watched (laughs) these extended director's cuts of both suicide squad and uh batman versus superman and so i who haven't seen justice league i'm sort of (laughs) like well i'll just wait and watch this long version which will probably be better as was the case with both of those movies and then i'll be like oh justice league good movie everybody and everyone will think well yes it's a good movie now but the original was horrific so that's what i'm excited for yeah i mean it's pretty interesting i think it's it's twofold, right? One is interesting that this director now gets to prove his vision was different because we do have the actual film to compare it to, like the theatrical release. And I don't know of this ever happening before. Like, yes, we've had director's cuts, but it's usually, you know, the director who did the released movie. Mm-hmm. So it's a few extra scenes, whatever. But this is an entirely new director who has been very outspoken about how Joss Whedon's vision was not at all his, that he can't even sit through Justice League, that it only was like one quarter of what he wanted. And now he gets all the footage, all the whatever, and he gets to re recreate the story, do the CGI, add a score, and have so much freedom that it could turn into this five-hour miniseries type thing. And so it'll be like very interesting to watch this sort of battle of the directors to see if his was really going to be like that much better that good and also like what is dc gonna do like you know it's just this like extra well if dc's making more money off of it then i'm sure they're right into it but but i mean is it gonna spin off from Zack snyder's vision of the universe or are they stuck with joss whedon's yeah yeah like going forward what is canon or whatever yeah that's an interesting question (laughs) also the I mean the, I don't think they're doing reshoots for this, are they? No. So, so it's all footage that they already have. Now, granted, the issue I think with both Suicide Squad and 
the Batman v Superman is that in order to cut it down for time constraints, they ended up getting right. rid of things that then made the story seem jumbled <laughs> and confusing. So if that was yeah. the problem with Justice League, then maybe this version will help it. Uh, but then I would say to DC that you before you start shooting, <laughs> you just need to get these scripts into shorter right. form. You can't keep allowing movie makers to make movies based on scripts that are going to be four hours long and then demand that they cut them down to two and a half hours because that's just not going to work like you got to just make it the script shorter in the beginning and if you have a short script that works then you can make a movie that also works (laughs) exactly yeah what a novel idea i know it's sort of weird to see how and on the other hand it's like well if you're gonna give power to these directors and these complicated universes then maybe trust when a director says no this has to be three and a half hours long you know like it's weird that these uh, CEOs or producers or whatever it is are like no 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 trim it trim it trim it it's like well why did you give him so much leeway in the beginning then like why yeah. did you trust him in the first place yes but it's also interesting because now these fanboys this like crew of <laughs> you know stands have realized they have this huge power where a hashtag movement over the course of a few years led to a 20 to 30 million dollar i don't know decision to reshoot an entire movie i think we've seen this though in other i mean maybe not exactly this situation but like i think a lot of the issues that arose from the star wars franchise had to do with reactions to things that happened on twitter i think some of the game of thrones issues that they stumbled upon in the last couple seasons were also related to things that happened on twitter i think there is definitely when you're telling a story that comes in installments there's a big temptation to look at the reaction to the previous installment and then base your stuff going forward on that rather than to come up with the whole story at the beginning and just follow it through either way i mean i think that when you look at really successful franchises of the last however many years like harry potter really stands out as a as like a gold standard of something that works all the way through the book series. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it sort of all came out right before Twitter and the internet was as huge. And that really she had everything planned out from the jump. So everything fits together. And I think that if you're going to make a movie series or a TV series, you would need to have that in your mind like you might not need to have all the scripts written but you need to have like a full idea of where this is going to go and then you need to stick with that idea even if people you know have comments about it online yeah i mean i think obviously you don't enjoy the franchise but lord of the rings was an amazing like never happened before i doubt it'll happen again where he got to write and shoot the three films all at the same time so there was Mm -hmm. no chance of interference because with something like harry potter obviously there were director changes and like Mm -hmm. blah 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 blah. oh yeah i mean the movies are a disaster but yeah (laughs) i feel like people should be more like that like obviously it'd be hard with something as complex as a dc or marvel universe but if you want like a three-part franchise or something i feel like people should be way more well, invested in just giving well, they that, shot though. um they shot uh the last two avengers movies you know yeah. back to back so yeah. and you do think that there there are obviously there are a lot of cases where you can't do that but there are certain yeah. cases where you 
understand the amount of money. And honestly, it's a lot cheaper to film things back to back because, or at the same time because you you only have to fly everyone out once. You only, I mean, the shoot is a little bit longer, but you have everything there. You don't have to do it two separate times. So I think in some ways it is cost effective. Like, and I yeah. don't understand especially with something like Star Wars where okay you know you're yes. making episode 7 8 or 9 there's no way you're not making those last two movies right. like why you don't i mean even if you're not going to shoot it all at once like at least figure out what's happening like get the scripts mm-hmm. get it so that you know what's the story is it just is yeah. mind boggling to me that these people are like flying <laughs> by the seat of their pants and just hoping another <laughs> yeah. good idea comes to them yeah, and they usually don't. So it would have yeah. worked better for the Jurassic World franchise, oh, yeah. either of the Star Wars. So yeah, it's like someone just needs to sit down and plot something out. Like it's very crucial that that starts happening somewhere. Mm-hmm. So another interesting thing, which is sort of a pop culture that I have been following, <laughs> is that um, Universal Studios is opening back up on June 5th in Florida, okay. which is feels very soon i mean that's what like 10 days away from us now um and they've released all of these new protocol that they're going to have in the park and i just sort of like want to run through these with you (laughs) and then we can try to determine like is it worth going to an amusement park if these are the (laughs) rules that you have to go by so So first, they have eliminated all water and mist elements from rides in the park. So if there's like a water (laughs) element, they've gotten rid of it or the water rides, they're not opening because like, you know, water is makes it easier to contaminate things, Mm -hmm. which is like, okay, that I mean, (laughs) does that concern you? I would still go. Yeah, I mean, I to be fair, I've never been to Universal, so I don't know exactly how many water rides there are. But I think anyway. But it's not a water, water park. Ride. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No one wants to get wet. So then parking will be staggered, which I was like, okay, don't care. Like, yeah. <laughs> parking arrangements un- undeterred. They're going to be checking people's temperatures when they enter the park, which I also feel like, <laughs> okay, is a little weird, but I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, everybody has to wear masks. Would you want to go to an amusement mm. park if you had to wear a mask all day? Yeah, there's no way that's... That'll be very difficult to enforce, I think. Even just seeing people at the grocery store, they don't want to wear masks, and that's inside a AC-controlled building. <laughs> the other thing I don't understand with masks is, like, but people have to eat and drink, <laughs> yeah. and you can't eat and drink with yeah. a mask on. So I am I'm confused as to... Like, are there certain areas where you can then take off your mask? Like, are they not selling the food that's just like you have to be in a restaurant in order to eat? You can't be like carrying a turkey leg around with you. Or (laughs) if you have one, can you then take your mask off? I'm very confused about that. There's no single rider line. There's no meet and greets. Um, Mm -hmm. But also they're reducing the capacity of people who are allowed on each ride. And then also the park in general has a reduced capacity. So part of me is like, well, there's going to be less people. So you would therefore want to go because the lines will be shorter. But then I'm also like, but if there's less people allowed on each car or they have to clean the cars in between or something, then that feels like it would take longer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people are desperate enough for something entertaining that they'll go and like Universal will make enough of a profit that they wouldn't be making if they were closed. But it is kind of weird. And I think a lot of people will be very frustrated and angered by these choices. So 
The most interesting thing, though, that I read about this is that for some of the rides, they're going to start doing virtual lines. So it's like you have your phone, you sign up in line on your phone. You know, it's like a restaurant. Then you can walk around, you get the buzzer, you come back, you get in line, which I was like, that is a genius idea. Because the worst thing about being (laughs) in an amusement park is having to wait in lines. And if you can spend that time shopping or eating or just like hanging out, I think that one, the park can make more money because you can't buy anything really while you're in line. And Mm -hmm. also, then people are less annoyed by having to wait in the lines. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like going to any restaurant in New York. I just hate standing in a line, but you give me a buzzer and suddenly I'm much happier to just wait two hours to get a table, you know? Yeah, or there's that, or there's those apps where you can sort of like check in before you even get there, you know? You like check in on your phone and they're like a two hour wait and then you just show up two hours later. So you can literally, you know, be doing whatever you want in that intervening time. (laughs) Well, hopefully we have some, you know, permanent changes in there just that one thing i know that'd be great i'm like let's keep this forever um okay do you have any other stories no that's that's it for me okay then let's get into love it or hate it what do you have for us (laughs) yes okay i tried to double check that i didn't talk about this last year so if i did i apologize but i'm obsessed so um there's a netflix reality show that came out last year called selling sunset and it's basically about this realtor group and brokerage in in the Hollywood Hills in Los Angeles. And so it follows these gorgeous, you know, real estate agents who are all happen to be very young, beautiful women as they sell these million dollar homes in L.A. And so it like scratches two itches for me, which is one I love. I love real estate porn. You know what I mean? I just love Mm -hmm. looking at houses I'll never be able to afford and just daydreaming about it. And I also love some petty drama. And so the season two just dropped this this weekend and I binged it already. And this season is definitely more heavy on the drama than on the real estate, which I think they need to find a middle ground. But it is so addictive and so much fun. And it is like... It's like a little mental break from our quarantine sadness because you get to just, you know, tour these gorgeous houses and look at all these pretty people and cool clothes and and remember what it's like to go to dinner parties and have friends and gossip about people. And so it has been really fun. They um, they basically I mean, they have all these like, yeah, it's just kind of catty. It's like a more low key real housewives, I feel like. Because they're a little bit more real because they're not millionaires themselves. But they're all kind of (laughs) like feeding the drama. There's one girl, Christine, who knows she's on TV, who knows she has to make it interesting, who knows that this is the way to like get famous. She says she didn't have an Instagram until season one and she didn't know how big it would get. And she has like, like five times as many followers as anyone else in the cast exactly because she's sort of the villain of the show but she's also kind of funny and clever and like I think you'd really appreciate her energy if you watched oh I love a funny a funny villain is just the best (laughs) and then on the other hand the like pseudo celebrity star is um Chriselle Stoss who is the now ex-wife of um Justin Hartley, who's the guy from This Is Us, like the pretty. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And so she's like the new real estate agent. And so she kind of, I think, brought the 
the bigger name to the show to get it, you know, started. But are the are the are like the clients famous people? Are they selling houses to famous people? Or are they people you wouldn't know? Well, in the first season, I think Gabrielle Union is in it. And so okay. there's like talk of celebrity clients, but most of them honestly are like either just so like casual millionaires or whatever or yeah. like the billionaires who you would never you know who are very mm-hmm. quiet and international and you would never see them on the street and think about them so it's not really about like who they're selling the houses to it's more their drama and then the pretty houses they get to kind of rep so mm-hmm. it's been delightful and luckily they filmed seasons two and three back to back so season three instead of waiting a whole year is coming out this august so oh it's like really, queer eye yeah where there's exactly. just like a new season every third week <laughs> yeah so i'm happy about it but and they're short seasons they're like eight episodes each but it's been <laughs> it was delightful to revisit it this um past week so i recommend it if you need a little glitzy glamour in your life netflix is really killing it with these reality shows honestly like they just know the right amount of trashiness to just (laughs) get you hooked yeah it's been it's great i love it can't recommend it's a talent (laughs) um i have a hate it which i feel like we've been doing mostly love it so i was excited you know to have something really sink my teeth into here (laughs) so i'm in a book club with a friend of the podcast former guest Voss. And we have had some good book club picks the last few months. And this month, we selected Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens, which is this book that was on the best New York Times bestseller list for like 30 weeks. It's this huge bestseller. I feel like everybody and their mother, mostly their mother, has read it. And so I was excited to see what it was about, thinking that it would be, you know, like book club fiction. So All the Light We Cannot See, The Help, Room, Big Little Light, you know, sort of like maybe not great writing, but also kind of compelling in some way, shape or form. Uh, This was one of the most boring, bland books I have ever read. And I am honestly befuddled by how this has become such a hit. It's about this girl who lives in a swamp in North Carolina, like in the 50s, I think. And it's two plot lines happening at once. One is like her sad, beleaguered life as a swamp child. Her like family abandons her. She's like, you know, stuck foraging for food, blah, 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 whatever. Not that interesting. And then the other plot line is that like 20 years in the future, they find this man who lives in the town near the swamp dead in the swamp. And so they're trying to figure out like who murdered him. And the two storylines kind of cross eventually. (laughs) And as I was reading this, like the murder plot line is the lightest possible version of a murder mystery that you could find. You know, it's like (laughs) there really aren't that many twists to it. It's not that exciting. It's so it's just so like somebody took an episode of Criminal Minds and made it 50 times more boring (laughs) and then put it in a book. And the book is like 400 pages long. And I accidentally bought the deluxe edition on Barnes and Noble because it was cheaper than the regular edition. So it's like all these thick pages. It's so (laughs) heavy. I was carrying it around like, why do I have to read this stupid thing? And then 
there's just so much nature description, like so much nature description, every tree, mm-hmm. every weird worm, every bird, anything in the marsh, the weird swamp girl becomes sort of like a, I don't know, like a biologist kind of. And so she's like, you know, collects feathers and stones and everything just has to be described in a million different details. And then I got to the end and I looked at the author biography and she apparently is some kind of like, this is her first book and she was her first novel. And she was some kind of, you know, like wildlife researcher or something who lived in Africa for a long time, but grew up in the swamps herself. And that she had previously written like three books on science. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, clearly, this is a flex (laughs) of, well, I can do, you know, some nature descriptions and just every other page is that and there's no plot. And I'm just trying to figure out who liked this book like, and what did they like about it? Our book club is meeting tomorrow, so I'm planning on picking everybody's brains on this topic. But I'm just like, it's not a good mystery. The... The plot about the Marsh Girl is just so depressing and dull. Uh, It's like every turn she comes up, she meets another like terrible thing that happens to her. And because she's not in society and it's, you know, she's like afraid of everything. You know, somebody comes out to the house and is like, I brought you a pie. And she's like hiding in the bushes like, oh, I don't want to talk to this person who made me a pie. Like, ah, (laughs) what if they're trying to kidnap me or something? It's just so ludicrous. And then the and then the way that everything turns out at the end is the most unbelievable thing that has ever happened in a novel. (laughs) So honestly, I was just it was bad. Don't read it. But if you did read it, please reach out to me and tell you why you hated it. Or if you didn't hate it, why somehow in some planet, your mind thought that this was a good novel. Cause it clearly wasn't, but I'm yeah. interested. <laughs> yeah. He's not at all judgmental or uh, he won't insult you for liking it ever. So feel free to reach out. I let mean, him know. <laughs> it's just like, I, I feel like most of these types of books that are book club books that you know everybody and their mother is reading you can you can point to a reason why people like them like mm-hmm. i feel like the help is a good example of this like right. why do people like the help there's funny parts of it the story is sort of interesting it has a feel good ending you know you can see why people would want to read this and why it's compelling to read even if you can point out problems with it. But this Uh I was reading and I just kept waiting for something to like happen that I'd go, oh, well, this is why people are reading this book. And then it never happened. So (laughs) it was just another 200 pages of nature descriptions. (laughs) Yeah, I've definitely heard of it. I've seen it in like lists and stuff, but none of it really seemed that compelling to me. So you know what? Maybe I'll take your word for it and just uh, avoid it. I mean, it would take you two hours to read, I'm sure, because of your <laughs> speed reading abilities. But yes, you should still avoid it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> okay, well, wow, this episode has gone long. We have just <laughs> rambled on about all kinds of things. Um, we will be back Thursday to discuss the Netflix movie The Lovebirds, which was supposed to be originally released in theaters and then got bumped to Netflix, um, which I am excited to talk about. So yes. come back on Thursday for that. What else do the people need to know, Shelby? I mean, you can find us on social media. Um, we're at PSU Wrong on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you can always send us your thoughts or concerns via email at PSU Wrong at gmail.com. Perfect. 
Uh, see you guys Thursday. Bye. <laughs>